Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs for an audience of entrepreneurs. And joining me is someone who was working at a company, at a good job that, well, the company was then acquired by another company and the job stayed good, but it was, I was going to say boring. Is boring fair to say, Kevin? Not. Uh, I would say so. Yeah. And meanwhile, in the back of his head is all these stories of entrepreneurs that he's been hearing about that he knows now exist in the world. He can't deny that that is out there and he's drawn to it and he decides, all right, I'm going to go and take a leap. And he does and he fails so badly, <laughs> largely because he ends up going for, well, you know what? We'll find out in this story. I'll tell you this though. Eventually, Kevin Sahin created Scraping Bee which did become a successful business. It helps developers extract data at scale. You probably don't know about Scraping Bee, but the companies that you use every day, every week that your family and everyone else around you uses probably are using Scraping Bee to get the data that um, that is the reason people go to those sites. I invited him here to talk about how he did all this, about the the challenges and what he learned along the way. There are a bunch of realizations that some of you are going to recognize, and and there are some realizations that you just won't realize until you hear them come out of Kevin's mouth. And I invited him here to talk about the Scraping Bee story, and I could do it thanks to my wonderful sponsor. It's Send In Blue. They've done so well with my audience uh, last year. They've come back again this year, and I'm excited to have them back here to tell you that if you're doing email marketing, you need sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. But first, Kevin, good to have you here. Thanks for having me, Andrew. What's uh, what's your revenue right now? Right now, we are uh, above 1 million in AR. How much? 1 million annual recurring revenue. How much outside funding? We raised uh, a little around $150,000 in 2020 from a Tiny Seed which is uh, an accelerator for bootstrappers, which can sound um, a bit counterintuitive. Because the way it works is how? They're, they're not looking for a big, I guess they do get a little bit of an upside if you sell or exit as a unicorn, for example, right? But along the way, don't they get a little bit of your, of your profit? Am I right? Yeah, so they, it's an uh, equity-based uh, uh, fundraising, which is uh, very uh, classic, no, no different from uh, traditional uh, VCs. But so there are several things that are very uh, uh, founder friendly. Their terms are uh, open source, so you can uh, uh, look at all the terms uh, on their website, but they uh, allow you to get a, a pretty uh, comfortable uh, salaries in their term sheets. And um, basically, you are allowed to pay yourself up to $250,000 a year per founder. And everything above that has to be in dividends. And so they get uh, the dividends prorated to their equity ownership, which is around 10%. Like they, they take around 10% for all their deals. It can vary a little, but uh, it's about that. And they get, they get, so share the profits along the way, equity. And then isn't there a way for you also to eliminate the equity down the road? Or am I wrong? No, there's no way to do that. Oh, so they get equity um, in the business and a share of profits? Yeah, but in the end, if you sell the company, you um, deduct the parts that they took as dividend from the Got final okay. outcome. So what share of your business do they have now? Around 10%. 10%, okay. Yeah. I see. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that's how they worked. 
why did you go with them and give 10% um, when you have to give part of your profits out along the way? Don't other accelerators take less? Well, it's pretty um, standard to have those kind of um, those kind of deals. They are investing at a stage where most traditional investors don't. Basically, they are investing in companies that are doing almost zero in revenue. At the time that we applied to Tiny Seed, we were doing not even $2,000 a month in our revenue. So um, traditional VCs weren't an option for us, and we weren't pretty uh, interested in doing the traditional VC way because, you know, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of expectations. Basically, the, the whole VC model expects uh, unicorns because that's how it works. And they don't, like most traditional VCs, aren't interested in companies uh, that can be, uh, you know, seven or eight figures. Uh, they want, you know, the moonshot. Right. And that's so, not what we wanted to do. Got it. You didn't want to be pushed to be a billion dollar business or go bust. You wanted to be accepted and happy if it was a $5 million a year business. And your investors would be happy in this case because Tiny Seed would take a share of the profits, but then they would share with their limited partners. I got it. Okay. All right. We should understand a little bit more about Scraping B. Give me an example of how someone uses Scraping B. Yeah. A significant part of our customers are um, developer teams and tech companies that are um, somehow extracting uh, data from the web at scale. For example, price comparison websites are extracting data from many, many uh, e-commerce sites. And in order to do that, they need some uh, software components to help them do this. Can't and they that's... do it on their own? Their whole business is price comparison. Why, why do they need you? What's the difficulty in scraping data and finding so there prices are, across the board? Uh -huh. There are many different challenges uh, associated with extracting data from the web. The first one is JavaScript rendering. So JavaScript is a programming language that is uh, more and more used on the web in order to make websites dynamic. And scraping JavaScript-powered website is very challenging because you basically need uh, a browser, but that runs on the server. And it's very hard for a tech team uh, to do this. There are many technical challenges. It's hard to scale. It costs a lot because you need powerful servers. Like you can, um, uh, even from a consumer perspective, you can quickly understand that when you run a lot of tabs on your desktop browser, it starts slowing your computer a lot. Well, that's exactly what happens when you do it uh, on the server and it's even worse. So uh, that's where one thing where uh, we help companies because basically it's kind of scraping is kind of a, a browser on the cloud. So uh, it's much easier for companies to go through scraping bee. The other thing where we help uh, developers is with proxies. So there are many websites uh, that are internationalized, meaning the content they will show is depending on the country of your IP address. Mm -hmm. If you have a US IP address, for example, on an e-commerce website, you will get a price in dollars. If you have a European IP address, you'll have the price in euro. And so we help with proxy management also. 
Okay, so I was mentioning earlier that you worked at Fiducio. Uh, this was a company that you were getting bored with. They were acquired by someone else, and you were essentially doing this for them, basically helping to scrape data on behalf of their clients for their software. You got bored. Did you just quit right away? No. So basically what happens is we, we got acquired in uh, 2015. Uh, so I was uh, uh, an employee. I, don't, I didn't have any equity in the business. So um, there are lots of funny things that happened at that time. The first thing is that I watched my ex-bosses getting rich uh, overnight and being very transparent about it. So like what? I what, learned... do they, what do they get to do? What, what do you mean? After... When, when you say they were very transparent about being rich, were they talking about it publicly? Did they suddenly come in with a, with a car that was exciting? Yeah, I mean, they basically, uh, you know, so the acquirer was a bank. Uh -huh. So the acquisition cost uh, was public okay. because banks has to report it. Basically, they explained us the whole process, the due diligence, the um, everything that happened during the transaction. And I learned a, a ton, like, you know, living an acquisition is different than um, reading about it. You, you can see the, the stress. You can see um, many things. And then, of course, yeah, I, I was uh, very uh, close to um, my ex-boss. Before the acquisition, it was his first exit. So um, it changed a lot of things in his life. Like what? Give me a specific thing. What did you see that, that changed? Did he buy something? Uh, yeah, of course. He, 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 bought a lot, he bought a lot of real estate. He bought... Um, he, he wasn't like a spending money. He was uh, mostly investing in investing. But, but you're watching yeah. this person who had not had much money before suddenly go out and invest in real estate, suddenly make investments, his whole life yeah. changed. Meanwhile, you're there still building this, scraping this and scraping that software and you, and you don't get any upside. And you say, I think I need this. I've already studied and heard about entrepreneurship. I've seen what's possible. Um, and then you, you quit your job or did you start the first uh, side hustle? I stayed at the job for two years. Okay. After the acquisition? After the acquisition, okay. yeah. So there, there was a reason for this, uh, and I had a plan. In France, we, we have a, a great unemployment benefits when you okay. launch your company. Basically, when you, you launch a um, company? Yeah. When you launch, when you quit a job to launch a company, okay. you have uh, two years of unemployment benefits. So you're getting paid like sixty-five uh, percent of your previous job salary for I two have years. No idea. Okay. Yeah, like the French, the French government. So, so I you had, had to an, stay there for how long in order to get those benefits? I had to stay for uh, two years. So you said I'm staying here for two years just to get that benefit. Then you. Mostly. I would say that I would say that there is this, and also like my mindset was. I had to learn everything I can from those guys that made it. So everything about uh, business uh, where I could ask them advices, I, w I was doing it. On the side, I was um, uh, reading lots of business books. Did you um, start your company on the side or was, was it only started after? No, I started the blog. I started a blog about web scraping. Okay. I had a lot of success with this blog from an, uh, a traffic perspective. Like it ranked like crazy on Google. And at some point, so I basically I went from zero to 4,000 visitors per month in about six months and it blew my mind. And so I stopped learning. I started learning about SEO and then uh, a lot of uh, people coming to my blog were asking for more uh, articles about web scraping. 
And so I, I started writing a, an ebook about web scraping. And after the two years, uh, I, I don't know what were your, uh, what was your initial questions? I forgot. Well, I'll continue going with it because the next step was you wrote a book called, which I have here in front of me, Java, Java web scraping handbook. Yeah. I like how you sold it. You didn't just sell it as with the book price. You had multiple tiers. I see if I let me see if I could find. I can't find the old sales page, but you're yeah. basically allowing people to pay you sixty five dollars if they wanted to versus just having a a one price of nineteen ninety five, right? Yeah. Was, so I had this idea price. from reading uh, Authority from Nathan Berry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, a great book. If like if you want to uh, write an ebook and sell it, I highly advise yep. uh, people to read it. It's uh, insane. I see it here, right? His One of his points of view was that authors are underselling their stuff. There's some people who just want to read the book. Let them buy just the book. But there's some people who want a more intense, more rigorous version of the book in addition to the book. And so he says, create that package for them and have it as an upsell. And I see I'm on your website now. It's $29 for the book or $49 for a package a little that has a little more and $69 for a package that has even more than that. All right. So you were doing that. Suddenly you became an entrepreneur through this book. You decide, I want to take this to the next step. Now let's go and create software. The next thing you did was create shop to list. Yeah. What was that exactly. idea? That's the idea that I said earlier, just didn't do well. Basically the, it was a Chrome extension where you could save products uh, online. Let's say you're browsing uh, Amazon or whatever e-commerce mm -hmm. website. There's a product you're interested in, but you don't want to buy it right now. You save it through the, the Chrome extension. And then every day, uh, we're going to um, uh, refresh the price. And if there is a price drops, we'll send you an email, which of course has an affiliate link. And yeah. we get a commission if you buy the product. It, basically, we so I, I launched this with my co-founder, Pierre, as a, a side a hobby project. We uh -huh. didn't uh, want to make... Uh, uh, money uh, out of it. I mean, it wasn't very serious. We got a lot of initial traction on Reddit. Like we posted the project on various subreddit and at some point uh, it blew off in, um, I think it was the frugal male fashion subreddit. Like it had uh, 1000s uh, of uh, upvotes or something. And um, in like 48 hours, we were uh, at Pierre's house in the south of France sitting on his couch and we were looking at the uh, sign-up numbers that were growing exponentially. And we probably had something like two or 3,000 sign-ups uh, in 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And we were, uh, you know, uh, very um, enthusiastic about it, euphoric. And um, slightly after the, um, the graphs uh, go to the ground and um, it was kind of the, the initial, uh, you know, um, launch was over and uh, it was a snap back to reality where um, we had to figure out a way to uh, acquire uh, users and uh, make money. And it was uh, much harder than expected. Let me um, pause and understand why. So I see the enthusiasm. I'm actually on that subreddit and people love it. There, There's this one person who said, I wanted something like this for so long. Going to check it out. Thanks for the hard work. 82 upvotes on that comment, right? Yeah. Uh, it just goes on and on with people saying, this makes so much sense for me. So I, I get that they were using it. I imagine you had you had uh, a business model here. So I imagine you were bringing in some revenue from this. These were people who were specifically saying they want to buy something. You're telling them there's a lower price. There's a chance that lower price will go back up and be higher. 
So there's some incentive to buy quickly. I would imagine you'd make enough money there that you could then start using it to buy advertising and grow it and keep on going. What part am I am I getting wrong? Was it that people weren't buying? Well, the the no people were buying, but the first thing uh, we were doing this uh, on uh, our free time, so we didn't uh, spend uh, a okay. lot of uh, time growing it and taking care of it. I would say that the uh, uh, economics of this. Uh, can work, but it can work only at a certain scale. Um, we were um, doing about a 100 or $200 a month in commissions. So I think that in order to make a, a company out of it, you need uh, probably uh, 100,000 or 1 million user um, to, um, you know, to, um, to, to, to sustain uh, uh, several employees. Um, and um, we just didn't know uh, how to, um, you know, uh, how to acquire more users. Like basically the only thing that we did in order to acquire users was to post on Reddit and get lucky. Um, but even the users and- that you had, they weren't profitable really. To get only $100 a month from how many users did you have who actually installed the Chrome plugin? I'd say uh, 5,000, something like that. Got it. So the conversions weren't strong enough. Why do you think the conversions weren't strong enough? I would say that um, the product uh, wasn't polished at all. It was like, um, you know, the um, kind of the software version of uh, a kid drawing um, something. <laughs> so that's, that was uh, one explanation. Um, and like, uh, we didn't knew anything about uh, conversion rate optimization. Uh, we didn't, like, we had no idea what we were doing. So. Uh, I think it explains um, um, the project's failure. Were you still working full-time? Uh, at the time, um, Pierre was working full-time. Uh, I didn't. So you were already, so you weren't focused on this full-time? No, I was. You weren't. Where, where was your attention? I was working on my book, uh, and I was also um, doing some uh, freelance freelance consulting on the side. Okay. So if I were to just analyze this, this idea, it seems like it makes sense. The challenge was you didn't have enough time to talk to your users and find out why they weren't buying more. When you say it wasn't polished enough, that's, that's helpful. It could be more polished, but what might be more helpful is to understand what features are they missing or why are they not yeah. using it? Or was it just for stuff that they were longing for and not really looking to buy or, or whatever it was? Is, is that fair to say? It is. We okay. like talk to um, no one from our uh, customer list, not customer user list. So yeah. And you weren't, it seems like also talking to other entrepreneurs to see what could you do to find out more about what your users were doing about search engine optimization. You guys have become incredible at, con- at content. You weren't talking and learning about that either. Am I right about all no, that? No, no, we weren't like at the time we weren't into any uh, community. We weren't talking to uh, anyone. It was just um, some kind of hobby project. We just had this idea, uh, thought it was fun, and decided to build it uh, over a week and uh, launched it and see how it went. But it was actually, it was a a really good experience because we learned about, you know, Reddit. We learned about the real software that is uh, used by uh, thousands of users. So... Yeah, I, I get that. So now you learn more about how to become real entrepreneurs, the kind that you now are right now, Kevin, you and you and Pierre are still working together, right? 
Yeah. Okay. Let me take a moment. I want to talk about my my sponsor, Send in Blue. I saw your eyes light up, Kevin, when I mentioned them. Do you know Send in Blue? I've heard about them. Let me tell you why. My I wasn't sure if they would do well with my audience, to be honest with you. And then I started talking to my interviewees and my audience, and I understood. Here's the problem. What Send in Blue does is they do email marketing. In the email marketing space, you either get really inexpensive or, frankly, even free email software that's very basic. Or you get more sophisticated software that does smart things like if somebody buys from you, it automatically stops sending them offers to buy again. And it definitely doesn't send them offers to buy again at a discount that's lower than the price that they already bought, right? Those little, if the person does this, then we do that. Those transactional emails, the segmentation, those things are reserved for the more expensive software. The problem with email marketing is the the expensive software companies will come in with a bait and switch price. Now, it's not a lie. It's up on their website. You can see, but when you're just starting out, you say, all right, I'll just sign up for this email company. They have the features we want. It's not that expensive. And yeah, if I move the slider all the way to the end, it becomes expensive. But if I'm moving all the way to the end, I'll figure it out then. What you don't realize is a lot of businesses, Kevin, just become big email-wise where the list just grows and grows. And even if you people have unsubscribed, the company will still consider them part of your email list. So your email list is growing when people unsubscribe or staying the same when they unsubscribe. And it's growing when people add. And meanwhile, your price is going up and up and up and up. And you want to switch. And you know you could because they always say email. It's your list. You can move it anywhere you want. But there, there are all kinds of issues with switching where if you go to another company and you say these people have double opted in, the other company may not accept it. If you start sending email from a different server, from a different company, your email may not get the same deliverability. People may actually suddenly consider it spam. Maybe they suddenly didn't get it before, but they are getting it now because the new email company has better deliverability and your email gets and reaches them and they go, I don't remember signing up. And they hit the spam button on you and they hit it so much that the new spam, the new company says, you're a spammer. We don't want you on. All these issues come up. And so, you know, as a company that uses email, you say, all right, I'll just stick with this. And yes, it's expensive. We'll eat it. It sucks. And now email becomes our biggest expense after people in an office, but I suppose we're making money from it. So you accept it. So the reason the people who I interview and people in my audience like send in blue is they have all these features. And if you move the slider up all the way, you can see that the price is still very reasonable because here's the secret email. It does not cost a lot of money to send. We're talking of not pennies, but fractions of pennies per email. These companies are only using the money for more marketing. They're only using the money to bring in more people who then they trap forever. All right, that's why people like Send in Blue. I'm going to tell you that if you use my URL, you're going to get an even lower price. They're cutting off 50% for three months from their already low plan. And they'll see that you like this idea that what they're doing makes sense. Send in Blue, go research them. Highly funded, highly successful company. And if you use my URL, you're going to end up with a great price from a great company. It's sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Anyone who's starting a company, they should be considering Send in Blue for email marketing. Kevin, that was a long ad, but I saw your eyes. You recognize this. When I'm on a roll, I just keep on going. <laughs> no, it's funny because, um, you know, when you uh, talk about all those um, companies, um, email marketing companies yes. that are... Um, uh, baiting people with um, the lower plans. I have uh, great memes that comes to um, to my head. So you mean that's you want to make a meme about it? No, there is existing meme oh, about it. Our memes about these email companies yeah. that come in yeah. and switch. That's oh, I didn't realize the problem was already so memeable. <laughs> they are like uh, especially about um, uh, one uh, specific uh, company that uh, keeps uh, raising. Uh, that keeps raising uh, its uh, prices every year with a 
famous emails. I don't know if I'm allowed to cite the company, but. Uh, All right, so continuing on with the story, what's the next thing that you created? Was it price bo pricing bot? Yeah, so we realized um, that with ShopToList, we had some users that were adding um, a, a substantial amount of products, like hundreds of products. And like we asked ourselves, what are they doing? Are they uh, compulsive buyers? What's happening here? And we realized that it was not the usual uh, users, but in fact, um, those users were e-commerce owners that were using ShopToList as a way to monitor their competitors' products. And they were doing it uh, in order to get their own pricing uh, right. We were like, okay, that's a, a wonderful uh, finding. There might be uh, something to do in this space because basically uh, Pierre and I, we wanted to uh, uh, launch something. We wanted to create our own company. And we thought that this was a signal and an opportunity to launch a B2B SaaS that would monitor e-commerce prices. That's where the um, pricing bot idea uh, came from. I think we did a... A lot of uh, mistakes uh, afterward, even with the process, the, the, the thinking process about this idea. Why? This makes total sense, though. You were dealing with consumers before. Consumers are not going to spend money for your software. You're hoping that eventually they'll use it to buy something from somewhere else. But frankly, if they're cheap enough that they're using your software, maybe they're so cheap that they find another way to go in and get an even better deal than you're offering them or whatever. Right. Meanwhile, businesses, they'll pay for this and you're seeing that they use it. What's the problem? What didn't you understand then? The, um, the problem, we, we, we discovered it afterwards, after building it. It's as in many cases in entrepreneurship, I would say, we didn't have any idea on how to get those customers. The distribution wasn't something that we thought about and we had to learn it the hard way. And the other problem is that we didn't experience this problem ourselves. And so there are lots of subtleties that we didn't know about. And that's something that led to many problems uh, with pricing bots. Like what? Give me an example of a subtlety that you didn't know about. For example, the product matching. So for example, in the uh, e-commerce space, like the same product can have different names and different product code or SKUs across many different online uh, vendors. And it's really, really hard to do the matching. Like uh, it's almost yeah. like it's a problem that haven't been solved, solved even uh, by a big marketplaces. Like for example, Walmart, they published a paper, like their engineering team published a paper on this. They Basically, they have some clues on how to do it, but it doesn't work really well. And so obviously, Pierre and I, uh, two engineers in the south of France, it was difficult for us to solve this problem. So it was one of the many problems from the product side. And then there were many product problems on the marketing side. It seems like, the, if I'm right about it, the example is like mattresses. 
growing up, we used to hear all these mattress ads on the radio and they would say, no one's going to beat our price on the Sila, whatever, sort of perfect sleeper. And it wasn't until later on that we realized, of course, no one could because each one of these mattress stores gets the exact same mattress with a different name so that they could have the lowest price on that one. But they also are the only ones selling that mattress. Um, I'm guessing that's what you're talking about, that it's that type of a thing that is hard to deal with. Yeah, that, that's um, that's one of the things that is uh, hard to deal with. There were um, uh, many others, but like basically, we when we launched uh, pricing bot, we uh, managed to get to around five hundred or one thousand dollars in monthly recurring revenue. But the churn was high. We hadn't any clue on how to build a system to acquire customers in a repeatable way. It was really hard for us to acquire them through uh, SEO, even though even at the time we had some solid bases in SEO, but it was really hard because we we weren't uh, e-commerce experts and we didn't experience their issues. And, you know, it's hard to, even if you're the best SEO out there and you come up with great keyword research uh, with uh, et cetera, et cetera, the, the, the articles that you are going to write about, if you don't know, if you're not an expert on the subject, they will lack uh, substance. Yeah. They, they will lack the the you know the thing that makes a reader stick and that make your article answer uh, um, uh, a deep problem for the reader. And that's basically what uh, SEO is about. Okay, so now you say we need to rethink this and come up with another idea. And you say we are web scrapers. You, yeah. Kevin, have now done this at three different companies. Exactly. One professionally and then two that were startups that you were building. You know the problems of scraping the internet. You maybe could solve it. And that's what the idea for Scraping Bee was born from. This idea that you understand this problem that, that people who scrape data have. But what is the problem? And are there other people like you? How did you see it at the time? When we built PricingBot and also with um, ShopToList, we um, experienced a lot of issues with two things. The first one is, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, JavaScript rendering. It's a very uh, deep technical uh, issue that everyone scraping the internet face. The other one was proxy management. There were existing solutions on the market that we used both for uh, ShopToList and pricing bots. But we weren't satisfied at all. Um, oh, Kevin, so you weren't doing your own scraping in those companies. You were just using other services, and you said, we're not, we're not getting what we want out of it. Is that right? I thought you were doing your own scraping there. It was a, a mix. Like we, were, okay. we, had, we had some in-house scraping. Uh, we also had to use some third parties in order to speed up uh, our process. The, the great thing about that is that we experienced the whole thing, building it in-house using third-party APIs and proxies, uh, etc. And so um, that's what made us that there were a huge opportunity uh, to come up with a simple product that does the job well. And like we, <clears throat> as I said, we, we could have been a, a customer of this kind of a service. So we really, um, uh, like we really knew what we wanted to build. We mm -hmm. really, and the, the other thing that made the star aligned 
is that we also knew exactly how to distribute it because I myself wrote a lot, many blog posts on my own blog about web scraping. So um, I knew like I knew exactly how to market it. And the thing is, we started blogging and we started all our SEO efforts even before having the actual products so that when we launched, we already had existing traffic on our blog, which is uh, like every uh, startup uh, dream. Yeah, that makes sense. I was wondering, how are you going to get people who are interested in scraping and need new software for it to even pay attention? And of course, yeah, you had a whole blog on it and these people were reading you already. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And the other thing that you wanted was you wanted to make sure that you were unlike shop two, you wanted to make sure that you were making money quickly. And so did you pre-sell before you created the software? No, we did a, an open beta, which was free and got, um, I don't know the specific number, maybe uh, 50 or a hundred beta users, but mm -hmm. we didn't pre-sell the product. We, um, we, we launched it pretty quickly after building our beta, okay. but we didn't pre-sell it. Okay. All right. I did see on your site, you said we want to ask money for money as early as possible. Why didn't you ch start charging before you finished it? Because we basically had the, the, the time frame we had to launch was pretty short. Like we mm -hmm. knew we could come up uh, with something in a four to six months uh, period. And we, we didn't um, put much thought about it. We were just like, uh, we build it and then uh, we launch and uh, people will pay at launch. Did you try other things to do to get customers beyond blogging and content? Short answer is like at the beginning, you said you, you mean, uh, I guess the beginning, it was blog post on your personal blog. That's what brought in the first customers. Did you try anything else? No, you just said, we're going to stick to the one thing that's working for us. We're not yeah. going to learn about how to use Reddit to get scraping customers. We're not going to go to conferences and learn how to get there and then speak and how to convert. We, right? Yeah, but we basically, we, we were from the beginning, um, so-called, uh, open startup, meaning that mm -hmm. we tweeted uh, a lot about our progress, even our revenue numbers, our traffic, the different things that we did. Uh, so it, it bring some customers at the beginning, we were very active mm -hmm. on the indie hackers and community, uh, which is yeah. uh, great. And I uh, highly yeah. encourage people to, uh, hang there but no we didn't do any um cold outreach we didn't uh went to any conferences the one thing that we did was that we were very active on communities even some french communities like uh, there is some uh, a forum in france called uh, growthhackers.fr uh, which okay. is uh, as its uh, name suggests uh, a forum for growth hackers and so we got uh, some early customers there, but I would say that 80 to 90% of our customers came from uh, our blog and content marketing. All right. And then one thing that you did, I hadn't seen any other entrepreneur do it. You, you had the same challenge we all do. It's how do you get customers on the phone? People don't want to get on a phone with you. How many times do you hear some guru say, talk to your customers? And yes, I guess customers, once they're buying, they're, they're happy to talk to you. They want better products. They want to meet the people who they're, they're sending money to. But before, 
they don't want to talk to a company. They think it's going to be a sales call. They think it's going to be an endless sales follow-up. And so what you did was, well, actually, maybe I should tee that up and have you explain it. What was it that you did? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So basically, we had a banner on our uh, dashboard. So the, the dashboard is where when you log in, you, you, you arrive to the dashboard. And the banner said something like, hey, um, if you uh, jump on a call with us, uh, you'll get uh, 10,000 free, cre- free API credits. And um, it was a, a great incentive for people to jump on a call and explain to me their problems, uh, what their company was trying to achieve, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I did this in a non, like it was not a pushy uh, sales call. I think I'm, um, no, I'm pretty, uh, I'm a, an introvert and not really. Um, good nor experienced at sales, but it, I think it's a great thing because it makes me ask a lot of questions, uh, listen a lot. And I think a great sales process is about like knowing as much as you can about your potential customers, uh, see if there is a fit. And um, more than that, when you are in the early stage, you can really learn a lot about uh, many different industries and many use cases you couldn't uh, have imagined. And I have uh, some specifics. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, what did you learn from the calls that you didn't know before? Yeah, for example, there is this uh, one customer. I can't uh, name the company, but it's a um, government agency uh, in Europe that's a market uh, regulator that looks for ads about unregistered securities through Scraping B. So they are scraping uh, different websites where there is there are ads and they are uh, checking those ads and uh, looking at if those ads are selling unregistered securities. And basically they are doing some fraud monitoring through Scraping B. I couldn't have imagined about this use case. Like you cannot invent it unless you wow. talk to you talk you know to uh, the potential customer. And there are many countless examples like this. Where, um, like, uh, when you know, I, I had to um, uh, stop doing it as time passed because I had enough calls to get a, a sense of the market, mm-hmm. and then it was taking too much time for me. Like, basically, at some point, my calendar was full of those customer interviews, and I couldn't do it anymore. So I filtered, and uh-huh. I filtered on industries that I didn't knew a lot about. For for example. Each time a university uh, registered to Scraping B, I was offering uh, a call to understand better how Scraping B can be used or how web scraping in general is used uh, by researchers. And I also learned uh, a ton. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was really a, a gold mine, not just in terms of um, closing customers, but more like uh, learning about their use cases. What do you do with that? So if you're talking to a customer who suddenly says that they found some random use for your software, what do you do? Do you start to look to see if there are others like them? Do you start to see if there's a market there? Or are you just filing it away in your head? The first, the, the, the direct application for us was to have content ideas. Like w- when you uh, learn about what are the biggest uh, challenge uh, yeah. for your customers, then you can write about it. And... And if you realize that many people share the same challenge, then obviously it's going to be uh, a big uh, search volume 
and it's great. And the issue when you, you are doing SEO for really deep technical products like us is that all the keyword research tool uh, there is on the market aren't uh, precise enough uh, to get you the real estimation of the volume. Like basically, if you go to Ahrefs or whatever and type some very technical keyword, it will say there is a, I don't know, 20 or 100 volume, monthly volume on this keyword, but in many cases, vastly underestimated. And the one way we, um, that we found to get content ideas with that, and then there is also uh, many other benefits. For example, you can improve your onboarding with the, the right uh, content to push, to help them solve their problems, et cetera, et cetera. So it's great on many uh, uh, aspects. Okay, you wrote on your site that one of the things that happened to you in 2020 was you just went into this, um, I forget the phrase used, but you were going through the loop of working hard to talk to customers, write content, add to the product. It was a, the grind year, you called it. Yeah. I'm looking at the charts because you're pretty public about your revenue over time. Eventually, I see a spike in revenue. I, I, I guess it's towards the end of 2020. Where did that come from? Why did suddenly more people start to find Scraping Bee? I think that there are uh, many uh, factors that explain this. So the first one is that SEO started, like, you know, the, the compound effect of SEO started kicking in and we okay. really starting getting uh, more and more traffic to our blog. So that's uh, one thing. The other thing is that we made a lot of iterations around our pricing. It's kind of um, mind-blowing how it works. Like, uh, you know, there are many uh, SaaS gurus out there that says uh, increase your pricing. And like as an entrepreneur, uh, it's really hard to do because you have lots of fears. You are um, thinking to yourself that, uh, no, it's going to hurt my conversion rate. Um, my customers are going to churn more, et cetera, et cetera. But depending on uh, who your target customers are, especially when it's big companies and you move up market, thing that we learned along the way called price insensitivity, like basically um, a, a big company that is uh, using Scraping B for them paying uh, $100 or $250 a month, it's a rounding error. Like, um, most of the time, right. they, they, you don't even have to go through the um, classic purchasing uh, process. They just uh, have, you know, allowance on their credit card and they just don't care. And basically, we, we made some experiments. We increased our pricing several times, several times, and um, it grew our revenue significantly. And then there is also the fact that the product uh, we were uh, adding more uh, requested features and we had a more and more expansion revenue which is kind of the um, end goal for SaaS businesses the golden uh, negative churn meaning they're using you for more things each month because yeah. you're adding more and i think the way you charge is per per api call yeah exactly so basically per use and so the more they're using you the more they're paying yeah got it okay what was the company? Was it called something else in the past? Yeah. Uh, in the past, uh, it was called Scraping Ninja. Scraping Ninja. Okay, there you go. 
Congratulations on doing this. I can see you've got one employee plus two co-founders, right? It's just a three-person team, a million dollars in sales. You've hit the number. You've grown. You've got a company that you could be proud of and that makes sense. Thanks so much for coming on here, Kevin, and talking about it. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Cool. All right. The company is Scraping B. And again, my sponsor, if you need an email company, email marketing is done right over at sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Go sign up and let me know what you think. Bye. Bye, everyone.